say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hi everyone and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo. I know. I have another great show. Why? Another great guest. <laughs> what can I tell you? That's the way this show goes. We have another great guest. Oh, you're going to really love Claudette Rowley. I'm telling you, you're going to love her. She is, she's written this book. It's called Cultural Brilliance. Uh, I know I know you people who are listening to this on podcast can't even see it, but it's, 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 wow. It's called Cultural Brilliance, the DNA of Organizational Excellence. I I have read this book. It took me uh, it took me some time to read this book, but the because it doesn't seem like it's long. But I'm gonna tell you what it is. It is so packed, full of useful, practical, amazing information. We're gonna talk to her today about this book, Cultural Brilliance. And and I'm gonna just I just before we get to her because we're gonna do what we always do. But I want you to be thinking already in your head is where you are at right now is your business. Right, wherever you're working right now, could you say honestly, without a doubt, it's culturally brilliant? All right, I'm just going to ask you that question. I'm just going to ask you the question: Is it culturally brilliant? And you go, well, I don't even know if I know what that means. But that's okay. Hold on to the thought because Claudette Rowley is going to walk you through this. Okay, this is a step-by-step guide. She's going to walk you through this today, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing, and she's going to be great. So, first of all, before we get anything going, I've got to just give out the T-shirt shout-out of the week. By the way. Uh, it's Holt Physical Therapy and Training. I got to give them a shout out. They sent me a t-shirt I, and I promise to give every local business who sends me a t-shirt, I will wear it and I will do it on live and say thank you so much. And folks, if you're in the Raleigh area and, and you live in this area, check out Holt Physical Therapy and Training. I have gone there and I love them. They're great. They're an amazing group of people. So check out Holt Physical Therapy and Training and we thank you for the shirt. So, but let's do what we do every week and, and let's check in with the four areas of your life, right? Check in to see where you're at physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, okay? And we're going to do that on a scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being great. So let's talk about physically. Physically, where are you at today, right now? Where are you at physically? Scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being great. How are you feeling, right? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you eating right? Are you doing the things that you need to do to take care of yourself physically so that you can be the best that you can be physically? Right? That's what I want to know. What's that number? Is it a three, a five, a seven? Right? The point of all this isn't to get from a three to a 10 in one day. The, the, the point is to get from a three to a four. Right? What do you need to do? So wherever you're feeling right now physically, what do you what do you think you need to do? What can you change right now? What can you change? Where's the new direction for you that you can find that you can change yourself physically? All right? You got that first number? Awesome. Second number, right? Let's talk about where are you at? Scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being great. Where are you at mentally? Meaning, what are you feeding your brain? You know, I am so fortunate that I get to do what I do and that as I get to read, you know, 40 to 45 books a year, right, to fill my brain and learn it because, you know, you can constantly be learning. And, and you know, Claudette has written a great book. You know, this Cultural Brilliance book has been a great book because it's really expanded my thoughts. It's reminded me of some things I've forgotten about. Occam's Razor, right? Whoever talks about that? Well, Claudette did. <laughs> she talked about yeah. it, which was awesome. So what are you feeding your brain, right? And there's two sides of our brain. We have, you know, we have that left side, which is that logical side. And we have the right side, which is the more creative side. And when I was teaching psychology classes in, at, at colleges and universities, you know, we, we have a tendency to forget that we need to feed both sides of our brain and that both sides are equally important. You can't, you can't just emphasize one without the other. And so what are you doing to exercise your whole brain? Not just a part of it. Yeah, we have a corpus callosum that connects those two halves, and that's a whole nother story. But what are you doing to feed your brain? All right. And you got it on a scale of one to ten. Are you doing well? Are you are you reading? Are you maybe you're taking up a new class? Maybe you're taking up an instrument, maybe you're taking a foreign language, whatever. What are you doing? All right. And how can you improve? All right. Those are the two numbers that you have, right? Third number is emotionally. Where are you at on a scale of one to ten emotionally right now? Meaning, what is your emotional intelligence, your emotional quotient, right? And and what I mean by that is do the little things in life tend to send you over the edge quickly, right? Are you able to control your emotions? Are you able to relate to other people's emotions, 
are you really listening to other people's emotions and not just sympathizing with them, but really truly empathizing with them, meaning putting yourself in their shoes that you can really understand someone else's emotions and, and at the same time being able to control yourself, right? Because we have choices emotionally, right? The, the, the higher emotional intelligence, the higher emotional quotient, the better able we are to control our own emotions. We, we have choices. Life's circumstances do not have to make us act in a particular way emotionally. We can we can control that if we choose to. So where are you at in that scale of 1 to 10 emotionally? Perfect. All right, so you got three numbers. Finally, the fourth number, right? Where are you at spiritually? And you say to me, oh, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is what centers you? Right? I'm not talking about being happy. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about what brings you back to center, what helps you come to peace, what helps you resolve the things that science can't explain. You know, what helps you do that, right? Is that nature? Is it karma? Is it, is it God? And if it, and should it be God, how's that going for you, right? And, or, you know, how's nature going for you in that matter? Or how's karma going for you, right? But something that I know, because we all believe in something, I promise you, you do. You, we all believe we have faith in something that we believe that that gives us some sort of sense of peace. And, and, and how are you doing in that area? So you've got four numbers, right? You've got the physical number, the mental number, the emotional number, and the spiritual number. And those four numbers are like the legs of a table. And you're trying to eat off of the table. If they're uneven, it's very hard to eat off of an uneven table. But if they're too low, it's also hard to eat. So the goal is to raise each leg little by little so that you get the table to the right level. And I hope you'll do that. Well, our next guest, who, by the way, is brought to you by Inline Business Brokers and Advisors, and they have been our sponsor for so long, and I am so grateful for them because they are the experts when it comes to selling a business. I have several friends who have sold businesses through Inline, and I am telling you, they, the experience they tell me is matched by none. They are world-renowned. Everybody knows who Inline is, and we are so fortunate to have them as a sponsor, and they're going to be sponsoring today's show as well as Claudette. So let me introduce you to Claudette. So Claudette Rowley, right, who is uh, the Cultural Brilliance CEO, is a change management consultant. She's a cultural designer. I love that word term. And an executive coach. Claudette is passionate about helping leaders and organizations resolve company organizational problems in ways that honor the intelligence of their cultural system and the brilliance of their people. She helps organizations create cultures that proactively adapt to change in ways that decrease stress, inspire learning, and promote organizational health. Who doesn't want that, by the way? Decrease stress, inspire learning, and promote organizational health. Is there anybody out there who doesn't like any of those three things? Okay, let me go on. So for almost 20 years, Claudette has, has consulted, trained, coached, executive leaders and teams, Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, higher education startups to create a proactive and innovative workspace culture and delivers outstanding results throughout all the areas of the organization. She has a tremendous background, has worked with so many different different places and companies. She is an experienced practitioner in the five dysfunctions of a team. If you've read that book, great book, by the way. She's also Myers-Briggs type indicator. I am an ENTJ, just to let you know. And uh, I will find out what she is too, maybe later on. Maybe she'll be so bold as to tell us what that is. And Claudette is a cult creator of Cultural Brilliant System and hosts a globally syndicated radio show. She also teaches a course on culture and communication at Northeastern University and is the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Cultural brilliance, the DNA organizational experience. Please get this. And ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Claudette Rowley. Claudette, welcome to A New Direction. Oh, thanks, Jay. Thanks for that introduction. Really looking forward to our conversation. So, uh, culture. I've yes. said it before. I will say it again. You have one whether you know it or not. <laughs> oh, you're singing my song. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we are always in a culture at all times, whether we know it or not. <laughs> It, it, it does evolve, does it not? I mean, you put a group of people together, all of a sudden the culture evolves. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, when I, when I wrote my first book, um, Got Social Mediology, I treated each social media platform when I was studying them uh, from a psychological perspective. I was studying them as a culture because I said, you know, Facebook didn't design the Facebook culture. The people who used Facebook have made that culture evolve. Mm -hmm. And the, the business that you're in, whatever business that you are, you may have not set out to create the culture you're currently in, but you've created a culture, right? 
Yeah, you absolutely have. You, you, whether you're aware of it or not, and whether it was intentional or unintentional, we, we are always in a culture at all times. It's one thing I, sometimes when I'm giving an example to organizations or individuals, I'll say, think about your family of origin. And whether you liked that family or not, we all understood the culture of our family of origin. We understand all the unspoken norms, right? All the unspoken rules, how you're supposed to behave, who is going to get upset about what. And an organizational culture is similar in the sense that you're going to have a set of norms for behavior that evolve. Yeah, and and why does culture go wrong? I, culture goes wrong, I, I think, for the number one reason is that folks aren't, aren't thinking about it sometimes, right? We don't, you know, decades past, no one was really sitting around thinking about the organizational culture most of the time. Right. So as you said, it did evolve. And so sometimes it didn't evolve in ways that were functional um, or supported people or the business. So I think that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is, or, and we're seeing more and more, this is more and more of this is coming to light where organizations uh, tolerate behavior that's unacceptable. Mm. Um, and we're seeing, of course, more of that in the news where it's not being tolerated anymore, sure, which is, sure. is really great. Right. Uh, but even things like tolerating bullies, tolerating people who are disrespectful, um, things like that over time really erode a culture. So how do you know if – how would you know if you're in a bad culture? You know, there are a few different ways, but some of the signs that I that have uh, been pretty consistent for me – one would be certainly the, you know, the bullying, disrespectful environment. Another one is if you're in a culture and you notice, or maybe you're the leader, so you're part of, you know, you're part of some of what's happening uh, from the, the top-down perspective, that people are, there's a result, revolving door of people. People are leaving all the time, mm. and then you have to rehire. That's a sign something's not going on well with your culture. Um, another one is that, and this is this one's often surprising to people, but if you are a leader or you're you're not a leader in the organization, but what you notice and and, and experience is, is the leaders will say, "Oh, you you have this new idea? Okay, great. Can you give us information about it? Can you give us some data?" That sounds really reasonable, except if if repetitively those leaders do nothing with that information or data, and people get incredibly frustrated and disengaged. So if there's a lot of disengagement, a lot of frustration, a lot of mistrust or blame or any of the things I've already mentioned. Those are signs that something's probably going on with your culture that you need to look at. So we're talking with Claudette Rowley, author of the book, uh, Cultural Brilliance, the DNA of uh, Organizational Excellence. Uh, by the way, if you go to culturalbrilliance.com, uh, you can learn more about Claudette, her team, and what they do. Uh, they they are amazing. I've read through I, I think I think almost all the website as well as this entire book, and you will love what they do there. It's such a unique approach, and I was blown away by everything about cultural brilliance and what Claudette is doing there. So I really encourage you go to culturalbrilliance.com to uh, just get some more information. Claudette, one of the one of the things that as I was reading this book is mm -hmm. I, I was like, okay, you, you know, you read a book and you go, okay, she's going to lay out. She, you come right out and say, you know what? Don't, don't hire me. Just read my book. Try to read my book and I will give you the step-by-step -step processes. And I, I quickly said, oh, well, this will be great. I'm going to start with being authentic and then I'm going to work my way and integrate everything. And I got through off being authentic and was getting ready to do, you know, the um, antigen, and I went, mm -hmm. and I went, oh, this is way, way <laughs> I need Claudette. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty good, but I think I'm still going to need Claudette in this one. And <gasps> and and I and because I was like, okay, this process that you've created, and this is your own process, right? Exactly. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. So, uh, so. Let's let's kind of walk through as much as we can in the limited amount of time we have. Let's walk through mm -hmm. this process of cultural change to become culturally culturally brilliant. Let's let's walk the listeners through that. So where do we start? Sure. If we we're gonna if we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna change. Yeah. Where do we start? Mm -hmm. You know, and we we start with what I call authenticity, which is really about understanding how your culture operates, right? It, it's getting to that place of truth telling. How does our culture really operate? What's great about it? What's not so great about it? Um, and, you know, as you said, I did write the book so that folks could take take some of the ideas and apply them. Um, 
or take all the ideas and apply them. You know, if they if they're interested in that, if they have the internal support in their in their company for it. Um, but the we, so we start with this assessment piece. So by the end of that assessment piece, a company an organization knows a couple of things. They they have a deep understanding of how their culture operates, especially in terms of the beliefs and mindsets that are driving behavior. Right. So if you just as a quick example, if you're in a culture where people have a mindset like nothing's ever going to change around here, mm. you know, nothing's ever going to change, which is sometimes what we hear. Right. And right, usually yeah. for good reason, because people are incredibly frustrated. Nothing's ever going to change. We've been hopeful before and now, you know, nothing ever happened. So you can imagine what behaviors follow that. Nothing's ever going to change. So people are engaged in the process or anything else. They just go through the motions. They might be angry. They might be frustrated. So there's a whole host of behaviors. So we really get to the bottom of those types of beliefs. Right. Um, and then, then once we've gathered all that information, organizations usually have a pretty good idea of the culture they want and need to have to support their business, support their people, support their bottom line. And once we have that, they, we meaning me and them, we have all that information then we move into designing and the design piece is really about how do we move from where we are today point a to where we want to be point b how, you know functionally what will need to happen right. for us to get there and what's really cool about that part of it is that i work i work with as many people in a company as possible so this is not just with the leaders we have representation from all levels all departments all teams Right. And so they, people come together and work on some very specific cultural issues they've identified, we've all agreed on, and can come up with a design, a design that solves this issue. Um, so it's a pretty neat process for, to watch people go through. And uh, so they're, they're bought in because they've helped create this. They've helped create their own solutions. Okay. And then – yeah. I want to stop you for just a second here because sure. this authentic yeah. phase, I, I was really – you know, because you start with this authentic phase, and one yep, of the things, the inhibitors that I, I I read, where I thought was so critical to being successful in this authentic piece, was having a psychological safe zone. Oh yeah, that mm -hmm. you that you could be completely, because I, I think it would be such an inhibitor when mm -hmm. we because we could talk about authenticity all day long right but mm -hmm. if yeah. you are if you do not have a safe place that i can truly say regardless of where i am in the chain of command that i can be honest and say look you know the ceo is a dictator and he and he bullies us i, I mean mm -hmm. right it's got to be that safe or that's the way i feel even if it's not true at least being able to see the, i talk about the importance of that yeah, it's critically important, and thanks for mentioning that. So we have, you know, so most organizations when we're starting culture work do not have what um, what Jay was referring to called psychological safety, which simply means that you um, that a, an organization or a team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. So if you share an idea, you share an unpopular opinion, um, you want to go a direction that's different from everyone else, or whatever the case may be, you make a mistake, you know that that you're not going to experience retribution. You're not going to be stabbed in the back or right. passed over for right. something doesn't mean you won't get feedback, you know, about what to learn and do differently. But so that's really what that is. So, yeah, organizations don't have that in place. So what I work with them on is creating what I call um, a cultural safety zone, which is the precursor to that psychological safety. And it's really saying for the purposes of our work together on culture, how can we make this safe? What are our ground rules? How are we going to be interacting? Um, you know, what's important here? What do you value? How will you know that it's safe, you know, et cetera. So we come up with this cultural safety zone to try to create, as you were saying, an environment in which people can, are more likely to share their experiences, right? right, right. Their own truths. Um, because without that, we're not going to get very far in this process. Yeah, right. No, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. Because I, I think one of the things I ever run into, and I know that you have because you wouldn't have written about it if you hadn't, yeah. is that people in, in organizations can be reluctant to be authentic and honest mm -hmm. because so. they're, they're afraid that there's going to be some sort of retribution for their honesty. Yes, and usually with very good reason. Absolutely, you know, they're yeah. afraid of that. Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. So I know you, you you've, you've moved into this design phase. So one of the things that I when I was reading this book, I I really was hoping that you would talk about and maybe you, and maybe you were moving in that direction and, and it might be moving this is this whole idea of contextual emergence. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm and, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to kind of like but I just was like 
that whole that whole conceptual framework that you put together with uh, context contextual emergence, mm-hmm. I thought was so uh, unique unique to this whole process because it it fits right somewhere between that authenticity area and before we get to design. Right? It does, yeah. Because we're identifying right certain structures and habits and mm-hmm. behaviors and mm-hmm. right. Go ahead. So go ahead. Talk. About, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Talk about that a little bit if you don't. Yeah, want. yeah, yeah. Happy to. Thank you. So contextual emergence, right? So this is right. This is how we we take all the information we gathered through authenticity or assessment. Before we go into any sort of design, we actually look at this. This I call it a transition. But we look at all we all the information that's been gathered. And it's called contextual emergence because it's really just looking at, you know, what is emerging literally in the context we've created. Mm. And so, for example, you know, I, I create an entire document and it has on it all the things that are going well in the culture, right? Where, where the culture is brilliant, right? right? And then all the things that are blocking the culture from moving forward. And then, and this will be mindsets and behaviors and structures. And this is all information that's been gathered from the organization. So this isn't, you know, from me at all. Right. Um, and so we'll get to organizations will sit down like, oh, my gosh, I can see how our mindsets are driving a lot of our behaviors. Mm. I can see how a behavior is driving how a certain system or structure is working. So they actually get to see how what they're doing, what they're saying and what they're believing, all of that is impacting the other. Mm. Um, and that's what that's the discovery process from that in that contextual emergence piece. Uh, and it's really also about people understanding how transition works, you know, listening, the role of mindset. So, so there's a big educational piece there too for, for a lot of people at least in, in getting what that's about. But there's something really interesting that happens when an organization gets to have a piece of paper that says, these are all the mindsets you guys came up with, right? These are the behaviors and, and they get to see that in real time. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I lo- See, I loved this because I don't think people understand how and you bring this up brilliantly in the book, by the way. And, and and by the way, I love your outline of the book. You gave us definitions up front, and we and you then you re you gave it to us again and again to kind of like really drive into our head. You know, cultural <laughs> brilliance, and also you know antigens. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I love the whole idea of antigens. I, I really do. But um, I I thoroughly thought this whole idea of emergence was so important because our belief systems mm-hmm. control so much of what we do in a culture and mm-hmm. and whether it's individually what you believe or what you believe corporately right the group think of what the culture is you it's is so critical to the success or failure I believe of any company mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and so when you started pointing that out it was like oh man nobody talks about mindset. Nobody uh-huh. talks about belief system. We talk about behavior. And listen, I'm, I, I studied under Skinner's last student, so listen, I'm a last, okay. of, a behavior, I'm last yeah. of a behaviorist. But yeah. but uh, but we we but we don't talk about how those belief systems influence and impact the culture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's it's just so, it, and we don't get real about it. And and it, I and it's a hard it's hard. And once you have a mindset, I'm sure you could tell me right. It's hard to break it. I think it's hard to break. It's well, yeah, it's challenging to break it. But it, once you're a, a, a company, an organization is aware of their fairly collective mindset in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it it doesn't mean it you know presto change or they you know they change it. But that level of awareness allows them to really start thinking and reflecting on how that is driving the behavior they usually don't want. Right. Right. Um, of course, the mindsets that are really positive, you know, we keep their working. They 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 produce great behavior or the behavior that's desired or rewarded in the organization. But yeah, we don't talk enough about, I mean, there are people who talk about beliefs and mindsets, but a lot of times, yeah, when we're talking about organizations, it's okay. What are the skills and behaviors this person needs to change? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're talking about what are their beliefs? Right. Right. Yeah. We're talking with Claudette Raleigh. She's author of this best-selling book, cultural brilliance, the DNA of organizational excellence, a fabulous book. She's being brought to you today by inline business brokers and advisors. Are you a business owner? At some point, you're going to need the services of an experienced business broker. Selling your business is a huge decision. Not a big one, a huge one. Make sure you build your deal team, starting with the experts at Endline Business Brokers and Advisors. You can learn more online at endline.com. That's E N 
L-I-G-N.com. And they are bringing us Claudette Rowley and her brilliant book, <laughs> pun intended, Cultural <laughs> Brilliance. And uh, we're talking with her and we're walking through some of the steps of making your making your company culturally brilliant. And uh, we've talked about authenticity. We're talking about cultural emergence. We're um, slowly moving into design. I, 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 I got to tell you, and I don't know where the best place is to fit this in, right? Because I don't know if we should wait to fit it in or if we should talk about it now. But I so want to talk about, I so want to talk about antigens. I really, okay, let's I, do it. I, I really <laughs> do because I, when you brought up the term and you defined it, I went, oh, wow. So let so define it for define it for the listener. What are antigens? Why is it so important? And and what do we do with it? And where does it fit into the system? Yeah. So this this whole idea. So a couple of years ago, a mentor of mine was telling me about this idea of adaptogens, and she said, and I'd never heard of them. She said, oh yeah, adaptogens are herbal substances like ginseng or maca, and you know many many other things, right. and they help. She had taken them at one point, and they help. Your body regain its health, rebalance its system, ha- handle stress better, things like that. And she said, what if there were adaptogen cultures? I'm like, mm. oh, wow, that's really interesting. So I you know, showed up in the book, so clearly I you know, I, I ran with it um, and really thought about it. And it, it is, it's a really interesting idea about what, you know, when we, so, you know, we're right, this is actually, you know, after contextual merges, the next part of the book is on this adaptogen design. But it's really bringing to, to life this idea that we can create and design. We, first, we can design and create a culture that can rebalance under stress, mm. that can rebalance after, you know, maybe there's an external threat that's unexpected. Maybe an, an, a leader leaves unexpectedly, you know, things like that. We can also, also create a culture that anticipates and responds to change differently. So you mentioned, you know, emergence earlier, right, which I love also. So when we start to notice that something might be emerging, those are usually subtle signals, something might new might be emerging in an organization, and a, a really common sign is seemingly out of nowhere there's conflict. Right? And maybe there's this team that's been working beautifully for a long time, or at least well enough, and then all of a sudden seemingly there's conflict. Well, usually that's a sign that something needs to change or evolve, right? Something new is emerging. Mm-hmm. So it's a simple example of this. So it, there's a process of actually taking folks through a cultural design that will become adaptogen, that will be able to adapt and produce as needed uh, throughout the life of the organization. So, so this this whole thing, first first of all, there's three things that, that come out as a theme in the book. This adaptogens, by the way, and I mispronounced it. Sorry, I was thinking about oh, something okay. else. Yeah. So I apologize <laughs> for that. I meant adaptogens. Mm-hmm. Because... But there's this whole idea that you that there's a theme that you keep that you keep referring to over and over and over again, and and it's the whole idea that decrease stress, inspire learning, and that we need to oh what's the third one? Uh, oh, promote organizational per, per, health per, and per, success. Per, yeah, per, mm-hmm. organizational health and success. And yeah. I thought to myself, I was just I'm consulting this company and. Uh, I would just, and I said to him, I said, you know what? I said, I'm just finishing this book. I said, everything that we do, everything that you do in this company, I think it really comes down to those three questions for you. Mm -hmm. I said, Mm -hmm. is what we're doing, what you're about to change or what you're about to do right now, is it decreasing stress? Is it inspiring learning? And is it creating organizational health? I, I just, and I said, I, I think, I think if you're telling me whatever change you're about to make, that it's going to do that, then I said, then it's worth thinking about. But if it's, mm-hmm. but if it's not, and you, you keep reiterating this in this. And I, and I kept saying that that's so, it's so brilliant because if you can, and you know, we, we know Occam's razor, right? The simplest, oh, the, love Occam's razor. <laughs> I do too, I too, right? The simplest, the simplest answer is generally the right and correct one. And, yeah. and, and yet I looked at that and I go, man, if I could just get my company to just consider everything they do into those three things, is it going to decrease stress? Is it going to inspire learning? And is it going to enhance organizational health? Wow. Well, I just, I was, it was a wow moment for me. I mean, you gave me a wow here out of cultural brilliance, right? Oh, well, thank you. No, no, no. Was... <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, it's a great, those are, it is, if you use those three questions and you run everything through it, it's really, really interesting what you find out. 
right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and how? Yeah. And 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 the Occam's razor, um, you know, the simplest, simplest and best, simplest solution is usually the best and correct one. Um, to paraphrase it, yeah. I live by, and then I have a a corollary uh, that I made up, uh, which is complexity is not a sign of intelligence. <laughs> Uh, because I find in a lot of organizations it is, and I also live in the greater uh, Boston area, right, right. where we have, um, as everyone knows, a lot of educational institutions. Oh, just one or two. There's just, just one, one or two, yeah, right? MIT, Harvard, Harvard et MIT, et yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So some of those, you know, I, I've done some work in some of those, and those are really fascinating, amazing people. And and right. there's this drive toward complexity. Right. Right. Um, and so we, no, 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 let's make it simple. You are not smarter because you wrote an 83 page manual. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's, so we've gone through the authenticity phase. We're done cultural emergence. We are into the adaptogen design phase, uh, right now. So we're in this design. What are we designing ultimately? We are ultimately designing solutions to cultural things in the culture that aren't working well. So what I'm typically doing is by the end of, we've gone through this contextual emergence, right? right. By the end of it, we've identified maybe there are five, six areas that need um, need some work, right? It could be right. around communication, productivity. Um, it could be around decision-making. It's usually very specific to the organization I found. And so we have this set of, we have this set of, you know, five or six questions or issues and then each, usually what happens is each one is assigned to a, what I call a design team. And the design team, and the book details this in a lot more, goes through this in a lot more detail, but the design team goes through a process of, of coming up with a solution to each one of these cultural issues. And it's, you know, it uses some things called, things like design thinking. I use a lot, I do a lot with systems, um, right. systems thinking, so to help people understand that it's not just a communication issue. Or behavior, it's a whole system. So how does it thread through the whole organization? Right. And so I use that to help people see more holistically what's really going on right. so they can much better solve the issue. So those are the types of things. And then by the end of it, we have a set of we have a set of designs and that we get feedback on and work with and do all of that. But that that's where we end up um, with by the end of that phase before we go into the design integrity piece. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Claudette Rowley. She is author of this best-selling book, Cultural Brilliance. Uh, by the way, it's available on Amazon, your favorite bookstore. Uh, if they don't have it on the shelf, tell them, hey, why don't you have Cultural Brilliance here? Because it's that brilliant, okay? Get this book. I, and by the way, if you're in management, if you're not in management, if you're a CEO or not a CEO, this book is is going to be tre- tremendously helpful to you. You're going to read it, reread it. You're going to be parts of this where you're going to go, whoa, 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 what did I just read? And you're going to read it again. And it, it's just such a great book. And and if you're looking for, you know, because I know so many of you that watch the show and listen to the show, you're, you're always looking for, what what's, what's my summer read? You know, because you like to grow and learn. Cultural Brilliance uh, should be on that list by Claudette Rowley. This should be one of your summer reads that you put, that you go, okay, you know, while we're doing vacation, this is what I need to be thinking about in terms of changing my organization, changing what, how we're managing, changing our culture, and we need to be taking a really close look at um, being culturally brilliant. And uh, and if you really want to learn more information about cultural brilliance, you can go to culturalbrilliance.com and learn more about Claudette and her team and all the things that they do because it's it, it's amazing. So and and I'm telling you it's going to be so helpful for you. It's going to be life-changing. It's going to be <laughs> business-changing for you as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really do encourage you to uh, read this book. So Claudette, we've gone through design. Let's see. We've gone through authenticity, emerging design. Where do we go to next? Well, let me, we got a, a transitional point called design integrity. And that's simply where we try out some of these designs. We prototype. So rather than going right into planning and implementation, we make sure what's on paper works in reality. Right. And so we try it out with the team, a couple of teams. We do some different things, and then we get feedback on it. And we make sure these designs have logic, they're coherent, all of the things that design should have. So that we, that's where we're really revetting it and just making sure it works. So that's 
but that's we, that little piece, yeah. But we need to be. I, I, now here comes the experimental psychologist in me. Okay. Yeah. Right. All right. Here it comes. Right. So. Okay. I'm ready. One of the one of the things <laughs> one of the things that I thought was also brilliant in your book is we're talking about prototyping. Okay, we've we've put all this together. Here are all the ideas. We're throwing them all on the table. Now we're going to take and we're going to we're going to unleash this on a particular section of our company. We're not going to do the whole company. We're just going to unleash a section of the company to see how it kind of folds. Maybe maybe we unleash a part of this to the whole company, but we're going to prototype it somewhere. We're going to do this experiment. Mm-hmm. But we have to be a little cautious because right? Because I mean, you know, we could get so caught up with Ooh, this is it. This is the answer. This is the only thing we have to do. Then, right? I mean, there's some cautions that you need to take when you're doing the prototype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you, you want you're open, transparent, right? This is the goal. This is what we're you know, team A or B, right, is going to take right. on you know, running a meeting a different way or whatever needs to happen there, whatever they've designed, communicating differently, and then you have you do they do it for a specific amount of time, which will usually be fairly short, like three weeks or something, right? Right. And you're getting feedback along the way. How's this working? What should we change? What do we need to iterate? What do we need to tweak, et cetera? And so you're getting feedback. So from that perspective, right, we're not going to put any kind of design in place that would really disrupt business. That would, I mean, that would need to be looked at very differently. Right. Um, but we're looking at things that would either they're going to work and enhance what's happening, or they might be fairly neutral, right? They're not going to do anything that's going to, uh, you know, hurt a customer relationship or anything like that. So yeah, you have to use some judgment, right? In terms of what you're prototyping and how it's working for sure. Right. Well, yeah, because I think, I think what happens is, right, we get so enamored with our prototype. Oh, look what we've done, (laughs) right? Which is, I think why you say, you know, okay, make sure that you have decided how long you're going to run the prototype. Don't, because I could see I can see this happening that the prototype is going so well that they don't stop running it, and so <laughs> right, right I could I could see that happen. or it's it's gotten out of control and they don't know how to stop it, you know what whatever the the case because and and the thing is I know we don't do is we don't prototype we mm-hmm. we have a tendency to go oh well we've got all the answers we don't need a prototype we're just going to unleash this but there's a but there's a danger yeah. right. Oh, there's an absolute danger because you really don't know what, you know, we've all had this experience. It looks great on paper, but in reality, right, we forgot five right. things. Yeah, right. And that's what the point of the prototype is. So, yeah, I have a lot of parameters around them. We're all in agreement how long it's going to last. We're all in agreement about how, what kind of feedback we're going to get, right. when we're going to get the feedback. Um, so it's not, you know, and I'm still usually part of this pro- part of the process, so we're not going to be getting... Um, or if I'm not, someone reads the book and goes forward with this, right? right? To your point, you don't want to let it run on. You want to be very careful and deliberate about when you're getting feedback, how long it's going, who's right. being involved. Right. And then you stop it and say, okay, what did we learn? What works? What doesn't? So there's a lot of deliberateness around the prototyping for sure. Yeah, so so this is this is the part of the process. And I think really the whole, the whole cultural brilliance process that you describe in here is really kind of that uh, automatic, um, thermostat in your house where you set the temperature mm-hmm. and then you have to keep adjusting it you know so if you want the temperature at 72 and it's really cold the heat comes on if it's really hot the the cooling comes on and I, I feel like that's kind of your system here is that it's just a constant feedback loop throughout the mm-hmm. whole entire system mm-hmm. which which is I think for some companies I think this is hard for them to grasp this constant, mm-hmm. the constant feedback, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they, because some companies don't have the patience for this, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I mean, they don't necessarily, but the feedback piece, it's a lot of it. I know what you're saying. The first couple phases of the process, it's almost built into how we're doing it, right? So the right. feedback's just part of what we're gathering feedback or getting input as part of the entire process. So it's baked in. Right. Right, and then it, yes, at this at this prototyping piece, the feedback gets much more, um, uh, not well, it was deliberate before, but it, it it's it's a separate event in a way, right? Right. But right. without the feedback, you don't know the truth. It comes back to authenticity. Right. Exactly. And then you might go down the wrong direction. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Because the thing the thing is is that the authenticity piece throughout all of this is never lost. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of where we're at in this process, that authenticity piece is like literally the foundation of everything that you're talking about in cultural brilliance. Mm-hmm. At least in my, in my opinion. In my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I, I it, because it's not like you could go. Okay, we're past the authenticity pace place. We don't need that. We don't need that safe zone anymore. That that that, no. that, that can't happen. No, it can't happen. No, you're not done with authenticity, right? You just you you you're going to continue to need to be authentic. Continue to need to you know this is an iterative process. So even if you right. go through the and all the phases to the end and you're, and you okay, a lot of changes have been made. This went well. This is good. We learned a lot. You have a positive experience. Something else is going to come up in your culture. Right. And you may not go through the process in such a deep way, right? You right. know, it might be a quicker thing, a quicker iteration of it, but something else will happen where you need to take a look again at, okay, how are we doing? What's happening in our culture? Right, exactly. Talking with Claudette Rowley, uh, author of this best-selling book, uh, Cultural Brilliance, The DNA of Organizational Excellence, uh, fabulous book. And uh, we're walk- she's walking us through, literally, the book uh, is what she's doing. But you, but trust me, this is this is like the... Cliff notes of the cliff notes of the cliff notes version of this book. Yeah, That's that the, is true. <laughs> I, I, I don't know any other way to say this, but this is like, I like that. But this is like literally three. It, it's like literally, you bought the cliff notes. Okay, this is the cliff notes of the cliff notes. Oh, you bought that one. Right. Well, this is really the cliff notes of the cliff notes of the cliff notes. Uh, is what we're doing today because it's not nearly. Uh, it's not nearly giving you the information that this book is going to give you, and not nearly what you're going to learn if you go to culturalbrilliance.com. And uh, by the way, uh, this book is available on Kindle it's, uh, as, as well as as well as other formats. And so I really, really, really encourage you uh, to to get this book. And and I've got it in both ways, Kindle, and I also have I'm holding up the paperback as well. And so I really, really encourage you. Okay, we've gone through the prototype. We like what we see, Claudette. Then what? Then we are in what I call aware integration, which simply means planning and implementation. Right. So we we had to figure out how are we going to how are we going to implement these changes in these designs. Right. And so that's some of that is fairly pragmatic, right? right. I, I've used planning teams, I've done different things in different organizations, but you're gonna you it's not just me doing it. So you're gonna get people to some some number of people to come together and really say, okay, we have these. You no, know, we need to decide and plan out. And sequence and figure out how we're going to do this. So that planning team will work on that. Right. Um, but really, one of the key pieces to this working is that the new behaviors and mindsets and behaviors that have been uncovered along the way in this process need those new mindsets need need and behaviors need to be the basis of how this plan is implemented. Mm-hmm. Right. So so often we see people use their old mindsets and behaviors to implement a plan with new mindsets and behaviors. Right, right. I know they do that on, you know, they're not aware of it. Um, but of course it doesn't really make sense once we're aware of it. Right. So it's really, how do we come from this place of how we need to think and act differently? And that's the key. That's why I called aware integration. That self-awareness right. is the key to this, to this working, to this plan working. Mm. So, yeah, well, here, I just had this conversation today. Mm-hmm. And that is this whole idea of cultural awareness, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's so, I, we just, we just pass over it so easily wherever we're at, wherever we work, whatever relationship we're in, whatever group that we're a part of, I don't care if it's profit, nonprofit, if you're a volunteer, we just, I, I feel like we're so unaware. I just, I just really do. I, I feel like we're unaware of ourselves but i feel like we're even further unaware of the culture i I feel like we're just not very intentional about that Mm -hmm. and 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 this whole idea of you know okay you know we've really got to pay attention right and and you talk by the way you you talk exclude a lot about really really listening Mm -hmm. i do Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot about are you really listening no no no, i don't mean just hearing are you really really listening and are you are you really and and I think it all plays hand in hand with awareness because I don't think if you're not really listening you can't be really aware. No, you can't. There's no way, right? And so we, I talk about listening a lot because it's really it's the it's the foundation, as you said, of cultural awareness. Part of the foundation, we can assess and we can do all those things, and that's really important. But particularly for the leaders, and, and this applies to anybody also, they need to. It's, I call in the book listening to what you hear. Mm-hmm. So. Listening to what you actually hear and not what you wanted to hear or hope to hear, which are, you know, those are different kinds of listening. Yeah, I, I, loved, yeah. Your, I loved your example. I, you were, I think it was you were in a choir. And, oh, yeah. And the choir director says to you, 
basically, are you? I really need you to listen to what you're singing, right? Are you really yeah. hearing? Are you really hearing? Are you really listening to, to what you're singing and what's what's right. going around you? And 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 somebody who is a hack musician like myself, it's really really critical in music that if you're going to sing. Really, you need to listen. <laughs> it's not just about belting out the notes, and and, right. the, and the same thing is true here when we talk culture, and listening within the culture. Absolutely. So now, where are we at? We we've gone through we've gone through this. Yep. Where 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 are we at now? What what's the next steps? What do we do? Finally, yeah, we're at this very final transitional point, and it's called um, social capital. Social capital transition, and this is where we we take we step back and we assess what how has the culture evolved, and what have you learned that's going to help your culture stay brilliant. Mm. Um, so it's it's more of a, it's a reflective piece, right? right? And it's really looking at what you know what did the organization learn, and I think learning is important. And then we also ask questions about business outcomes, right? Because we're also doing we change culture. A co- colleague of mine said this the other day. We should be looking at our culture and changing our culture because we want to improve our business, achieve goals, and you know, could be increase profits, increase our bottom line. Not just because culture is a nice thing to do. Right. And I appreciated his straightforwardness on it. Right. We don't just create a trusting culture so people feel better. That's part of it. But we also do it because it's going to improve your business. Right. So in social capital, that's where we're we're looking at business and learning um, what worked and what didn't. And so we're taking stock of all that. And then that's actually that information gets used usually to see then what's next in the cultural evolution. Mm. And and this is where I think you point out at this point in the book, I think this is where you have to be, again, constantly aware, have a bunch of self-awareness where the old culture um, mindsets may try to creep back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's something. Um, yeah, I, I probably should emphasize more that it is almost always the case that the old aspects of the culture, long, not long before even social uh, capital transition, will show up. Right? They'll show up in unexpected ways. Um, maybe during a meeting. Maybe, and I notice they often will start showing up as we get to the planning phase and implementation phase. Because then it's getting, whoa, the rubber's going to hit the road. You mean we're actually really doing this now? You're really going to implement something? Oh, boy, right? So that's where, yeah, so I'll start to see, like, you know, do old parts of the culture, resistance, negativity, whatever it is, right. um, start to show up. And so what we have to do is just observe, oh, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's part of the old culture. What's happening here? What are you experiencing? What's going on? Right. And so we talk that through, and it, it's another awareness piece. And then after a while, you know, that will, of course, stop happening. So, okay, by the way, we're talking with uh, Claudette Raleigh and author of best-selling book, uh, Cultural Brilliance and uh, the DNA of Organizational Excellence. She's brought to you today by Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. Uh, Listen, Inline Business Brokers and Advisors have literally, and I'm not making this up, folks, literally helped thousands, thousands of clients in the sale and purchase of businesses. I, I, I can't make this up. When it's time to sell your business, just contact them. I, they are amazing. It's inline business brokers and advisors. They are sponsoring today's show and Claudette Raleigh, and we are so grateful to them for doing that. Just f- learn more at nline.com. That's e n l i g n.com, and we are so grateful to Jeff Snell and his group of professionals at Inline Business Brokers and Advisors for sp- for sponsoring the show today. So one of the things that uh, you say in the book and I and I was like ooh she waited till the end to bring this up and that was the saboteur right that oh yeah right mm-hmm. and 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 you kind of give it this little here's what you do Claudette and this is what I love <laughs> you you kind of subtly right it's kind of like I'm not gonna, gonna I'm gonna wait and then here I am last few pages of the book I'm gonna go by the way you may want to pay attention to the saboteurs. Mm-hmm. They may mm-hmm. want to sabotage the culture. Give a little bit of give a little bit of talk about the saboteurs and the sab- the people who may want to sabotage the culture. So it's you know it's interesting because there are folks who 
maybe sabotage, not maybe unconsciously, right? They're not necessarily doing sure, it. Sure. Uh, no, knowingly, and then of course the people that set out to undermine <laughs> right. it with complete <laughs> right. clarity. Um, and there's a little bit of both sometimes. Yep. But I think it's really, um, yeah, saboteurs. So some of the other saboteurs that are um, are not always people that I've noticed. Right. Are things like. Um, holding back from important conversations, mm. which requires courage, right? Yeah. That can sabotage what you're trying to do, holding back from those tough conversations. Um, you know, also really on leaders, it's really, really important that leaders have a clear understanding of how they're impacting the culture. Mm. I have something in the book called a cultural 360 process. Right. And it's really, you know, that can end up being a saboteur. If everyone's walking around and the emperor has no clothes on, so to speak, right? right? And right. no one's saying anything. Then that that, that could be a, that could sabotage the entire process. People need to give leaders some feedback. You know, they, everyone has blind spots. The leader can't know everything. Right. Um, so that that is another potential saboteur of the process. And I think sometimes feeling like, oh my gosh, this is really hard because there are usually parts of it that are. Sure. This is really hard. Have we done the wrong thing? And remembering that you're going deep, really deep temporarily. You are not going to stay in the depths of this cultural work, this right. assessment work, this you know these deeper conversations. Right. You're going to come back up um, into into a more um, kind of I don't know if the word's normal, but just you know regular rhythm. Right. Um, but when people sometimes get really nervous when things go deep and and things go wobbly, that can be another place where a saboteur could show up because it's just so uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. So. So one of the things that you did in the last portion of the book, and you saved you saved it to the end, and it was kind of, to me it was kind of like the bonus of the book. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. And, okay, this is what. So you talk about the culturally brilliant leader. Yeah. And and it was at the end of the book, and I went, she gave me bonus content. How dare she? Give me bonus content. I wasn't ready for bonus content because just, oh. when, just when I thought the book, just when I thought the book was about to be over, and because you refused to give me an epilogue, you gave me emergence instead of an epilogue, yeah. right? No. <laughs> I get. Oh no, we're going to talk about the culturally brilliant leader. Uh huh. Well, well, who? What is the culturally brilliant leader? So the culturally brilliant leader, yeah, a little bonus material. Um, <laughs> is someone who. Um, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but there's someone who can really tune into what I call the emotional energy of of the culture. Some other people call it the emotional culture, you right. know, um, but it's really it's tuning into some of that. What is really going on beneath the surface? And so if the leader's gone through the process we just talked about, they know a ton by the end of it. Um, and so they're, the culturally brilliant leader is able to do that. I think of them as somewhat of a culture whisperer. Mm. Um, like dog whisper, horse whisper. Sure. And there are also people who are willing to be really self-aware and notice that you cannot, your culture will not change unless you change and grow as a leader. It is not those people over there that need to change. It's you as well. Um, so it's, it's that level of tuning in self-awareness um, and harnessing what I call the emotional energy of the organization. And I talk about that in the book. Like how do we actually you know, harness that. And we see leaders that do that naturally. They're not even taught how to do it. Probably they galvanize everybody. They inspire them, right? They motivate them and they have that quality. But so we're talking about some of that, but we're also talking about that deeper tuning in so that a leader can say, Oh, you know, I have really been noticing that this particular team seems very disgruntled and I don't know why I better go talk to them. Mm. Let me find out some information. And maybe that leader a year ago wouldn't have even noticed because they were more focused on making decisions and taking action, the things leaders need to do. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's easier sometimes, it's so much easier for the leader to just decide they're going to take an immediate action rather than ask the question. Yeah. And, and, I, and I thought, wow, you know, if we could just stop for a moment as a leader and wherever we're at, I don't care where we're at as in, in leadership, but if we could just stop instead of going... I got to make this change. Now, listen, admittedly, there are times when you just have to do that. But the, but there are more times than not where if you will just, if you could just listen a little bit. Again, here we come back to what you said about listening. And I think that's the thing about the cultural brilliant leader. The cultural brilliant leader is not only self-aware, she is a listener and is really paying attention to the pulse of the culture. And mm -hmm. rather than... Rather than jumping in and, you know, making demands and becoming a dictator, they understand the importance of the culture. That, and this is what I'm pulling from your book. 
and mm-hmm. I may be wrong. And correct me if I've missed the point, but no, no. And, but this is where I see that going, and I and I loved it, and I went, yeah, I want to be more of a culturally brilliant leader. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's, and because I I think that was the thing that made it more personal for me. Oh, right, 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 because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even even though I do coaching and even though I do consulting and that type of thing, I think there was also part of it, and this is what was so beautiful for me about your book, was then it got personal. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, right? It kind of, at the end, it gets personal. It You're did. really thinking about yourself as a leader. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it really got personal. So I want to say thank you for that. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Really, yeah. So, so Claudette, um, here's what I do. Because believe it or not, we've been on almost an hour. So, mm-hmm. well, it has flown by. It flown has by. really yes. flown by yeah. very fast. Right. Yeah. Um, so, what I ask every guest uh, here on a new direction is the show is called a new direction because we help people find a new direction in their life or their career or their business. And what I would like to ask you to do is if you could give people one something that would help mm-hmm. them find a new direction in terms of cultural mm-hmm. brilliance, what would be that one thing that you would leave them with? Yeah, thanks for that. So I, we've touched on a little bit of it, but it's I, I call it becoming a cultural detective. Um, this isn't in the book, but but the sim- similar ideas are. So really, if you if you know you want to go in a new direction in your culture, start by and you could be a leader, you could be at any any level in the company organization, is really start listening, right, and listen to everything, listen to what you hear. Try to drop your, you know, we all have biases and assumptions. Try to drop those and be really, really observant in a non-judgmental way. And just notice, right, without without judgment or assigning meaning, just notice what happens when you listen and observe that way about people and how they interact and operations and processes and things like that. You're going to you're gonna gain a wealth of information that you might have just been overlooking simply because you're busy and not tuned in in that particular way. Mm, that's beautiful. Her name is Claudette Rowley. She is best-selling author of this book, Cultural Brilliance, The DNA of Organizational Excellence. You need to get it. Amazon bookstore, get it. Check out culturalbrilliance.com. Uh, I, you know me. I put the book, I put her, her face, and I put all the information on the Jay Izzo podcast website, and you will be able to see, read, and check in. So you just want to click on a link, you don't want to remember it, just go to the podcast you'll see it it's going to be called cultural brilliance and how to change your culture is probably going to be the name of it and be culturally brilliant and so um, make sure that you check that out Claudette please stay with me for a second folks that's a show right we're thankful to inline business brokers advisors for giving us another show I'm thankful to Claudette Rowley who has been so generous with her time and her book cultural brilliance I, I, I'm really excited about it I think it's gonna be a game changer no I don't think I know it's gonna be a game changer for you if you will just stay with the program And folks, uh, I want to also make sure that I thank all my listeners around the world. You people have been so generous and so kind. And Sweden, I don't know why. I am just going to say thank you for being like the the third largest country to be listening and downloading this show on a regular basis. And so my folks in Sweden, thank you so much for doing that. And, And the UK, you guys have been so amazing. Africa, Mayotte. Uh, Germany, all the places around the world, thank you. And I want to thank everybody in the United States. Chicago, you have been so kind to me, and and you're the number one city that downloads and listens to the streams of the show. I want to say thank you to that. And so, as I say this to everybody as I end the show every week, I always say to you, you know what, be inspired, because when you're inspired, you inspire someone else. And when you do that, People just become more inspired, and it makes the world a better place. So thank you again. Be inspired. I will talk to you soon. Ciao, everybody. And the answers don't make sense Got to keep your hope alive You got to know you can't survive
Find your strength. Don't worry. 